Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm your host, Aaron White, and I'm excited to be back. Last week, I had planned on dropping a couple of episodes, the second of which would be covering Ambulance, and I believe it was going to be All the Old Knives, if that's the right title. It's a terrible, terrible title for that film, and so it's easily forgettable because it doesn't have anything to do with the movie itself. It's very strange, but the fact of the matter is I ended up having to house sit for six days, and I was away from my podcasting equipment and didn't make my ambulance press screening, and so I just said, you know what? It's just not in the cards. It's a little bit too much of an effort that I would have had to put in and and really disrupt my evenings to do that, and so I took that extra episode off Watched Ambulance by myself, uh, well, with my son, but watched it like a normal person, not at a press screening, in Dolby on opening night, and it was phenomenal. As you know, Patrick and I just covered that with our latest full episode, so be sure and check that out if you've seen the movie. Absolutely love that experience, and uh, Bay is awesome. I'm a big fan, and Ambulance really, really hit the spot for me. All the old knives, I'll just drop a quick note that I thought it was okay. It's intriguing in that it's a very slow burn. I believe it's on Amazon Prime streaming for free right now, so you can check it out if you have that service. Chris Pine and Danny Newton have great chemistry in it, and really that's kind of the best part. They're like, they have a very steamy relationship, and it's it's also a really interesting look at spycraft in that there's not a lot of action. Actually, there's really no action at all. It's not that kind of spy movie. It's all about the subterfuge and the lies and kind of the slow boil of how those things affect people. And and you watch as things kind of reveal themselves over the course of the film. There's some twists and turns. It's good. It's not great by any means. It's pretty forgettable, which is unfortunate because that's how Chris Pine's other last recent movie, The Contractor, was as well, was interesting, okay in the moment, but forgettable. So Yeah, feel free to check out that if you like a slower type of spy film that revolves basically around a lot of talking. Real quick before we jump into this week's films, I also wanted to put out a plug. If you haven't had a chance to review our show yet on your favorite podcast platform of choice, we'd really appreciate that. It's been a while since we've had any new reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts, which is the one that gets the most attention out there in the world. So if you have the opportunity, would love for you to give us a five-star review there, drop some words about what you enjoy of the show, and maybe help other people find their way into our listening audience as well. Well, as you know, here on FF Plus, the format is very straightforward. I'm just going to talk about what I liked, what I didn't like, and give you a recommendation. It's simple, it's short, and it's spoiler-free. Now, I saw both of the films that we're going to talk about today, yesterday, last night, in fact, back to back and it was like whiplash they are so stinking different that it was just a complete shock to my system going from one world to the other world they're both very very visually interesting the visual language of these films is a strength though and so we'll talk about how that is as we get into this the first film is Pompo the Cinephile, coming from G-Kids. It is directed by Takayuki Hiro and also written by Takayuki Hiro and based on the Japanese manga series by Shogo Sugitani. What's it about? 
Pompo is a talented and gutsy producer in Nialywood, the movie-making capital of the world. It's fictional, as you might expect. Although she's known for B-movies, one day Pompo tells her movie-loving but apprehensive assistant, Jean, that he will direct her next script, a delicate drama about a tormented artistic genius, starring the legendary and Brando-esque actor, Martin Braddock, and a young actress seeking her first break. But when the production heads towards chaos, can Jean rise to Pompo's challenge and succeed as a first-time director? Now, Pompo feels like a love letter to both anime and cinema. It is a movie about making movies, and if you are a cinephile, just like in the title, Pompo is, then you're probably going to find a lot to love about this. From an animation perspective, it is completely vibrant. The colors are crisp, they're bright, they pop off the screen like fireworks. It reminds me so much of Makoto Shinkai's animation, only with character drawings that are a little more soft, a little more maybe rounded, a little more childlike. I mean, Papo herself, for goodness sakes, is legitimately what feels like a school-age kid, right? She is a child in this movie, and that's part of the charm of it, is that the both her and Jean himself don't feel like adults. They feel like teenagers, young adults, if the at the most, kind of pursuing and chasing dreams in this world. So it's, it's a really interesting way to kind of frame those characters, but the look of it, outside of the characters themselves, like I said, totally Makoto Shinkai, could have fooled me. It is gorgeous to look at in every single frame. I found myself constantly wanting to just pause the movie, screenshot it, and take something that I could make into my desktop computer wallpaper background. It really is great. Another awesome strength of this is the visual techniques that it uses in representing filmmaking and the different processes. So we get to see things like editing, and we get to see things like framing shots, cutting, cutting of a trailer, how characters envision scenes in their mind, both as a director and as a writer. We get to see location scouting. We get to see music composition. And a lot of these things we see two different ways. Like, for example, the editing. We'll see the character of Gene, who is not only the director but the editor. We'll see him at a computer where he is working and realistically, like very literally moving pieces of the film around as he cuts and edits it. But then we'll also go into like a surrealistic kind of magical representation of that where we see long, beautiful strips of film flowing around and encircling him in this kind of like he's floating in the air as he's working through this process. So you get that kind of like very anime-esque animation style of storytelling as well. And it's just visually an absolute treat. I mean, there's never a moment in this movie where I didn't enjoy looking at it, and that carried it a long way for me. As a story, I, I kind of I like it. I don't love it. I think that the film within a film itself narratively did not hook me. I wasn't that interested in the movie that they were making. I was interested in the movie-making process for the movie that they were making. That might have been the point, but even at only 90 minutes, and it moves really briskly, 
it's pretty fast paced and it, you never lose your attention. But I wanted kind of more depth from that. Characters, I liked them. They're not going to be my favorite as far as animated films go, but I thought that, you know, Pompo was incredibly interesting and just she's such a weird, unique spirit. She embodies, and along with Jean as well, the idea of like passion and idealism and hopefulness in this creative space where you want to make something great. And they deal with facing anxiety. They deal with the struggle of pressures they deal with outside circumstances that are preventing them from potentially providing the best possible art that they can make, like needing financing. It's also got a ton of filmmaking references, of course. One big one is that it name drops Cinema Paradiso, and kind of it's fitting because that film is quite similar to this. There's even a scene in this where there is an older character teaching a younger character about film splicing that is a direct reference to that movie. There is some clever conversation and dialogue in this about how boring, quote, masterpieces can be at times, basically due to their length. So Pompo is a character who very much, you know, from her B-movie background, she believes in like this 90-minute format. She cuts things all to heck. She wants to just completely edit the film down to a point where every single scene is something that you savor. And she doesn't believe in storytelling that shows you everything that happens. She wants only the most important things to be part of her final cut in the movie or the director's final cut in the movie. And in this case, she trusts Jean to do that. There's a great line where she says, directing is subjective, but editing is objective. And she feels that Jean is going to be able to do both and find that right balance. It's really great. The final act is nice, kind of wraps things up, and it, and it feels like it recognizes the sacrifices that you have to make to be at the very best in pretty much any profession or artistic pursuit. And I like that a lot. If you give your all, you're never going to regret the art that you make, whatever that is, whether you're actually making a film, whether you're painting, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a content creator of some kind, it's all the same. And so for me, yeah, I, I love this quite a bit. It's very much a modern animated film stylistically. You get montages here and there. You get Japanese pop music. And in this case, the emotionally charged romantic pursuit that sometimes would be a relationship is a love of movies, which, hey, I'm sitting here talking to you because I love movies and you're listening because you love movies. So definitely think this is one for the film fans out there. There will be fan previews of this movie in theaters via Fathom Events with a special introduction from the director on April 27th in Japanese and April 28th in English. Then, in limited release, the film will come out on April 29th. I don't know how wide that's going to be. G-Kids has been doing their best and really expanding as much as they can. But these fan screenings are great. I've gone to quite a few of them, and I would highly recommend them. You, you can get tickets right now. They're available. That's part of why I'm dropping this episode early, is to make sure you have that opportunity before 
anything sells out locally since there are those two main days, the 27th and 28th. And if your theater isn't carrying it after that, you may not have another shot. But Pompo the Cinephiles, it's a gorgeous movie. It's well worth seeing on the big screen because the visuals are absolutely stunning. So I'm feeling it. I love it. I recommend it highly. And I hope that people will get out and get a chance to see this movie. Now, as I mentioned, the other film was a complete whiplash kind of event for me. And I saw Pompo's second. The movie that I saw before it was The Northman from Focus Features, starring Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Clias Bang, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, Bjork, and Willem Dafoe. It's directed and written by Robert Eggers and is also co-written by Shon. What's it about? An epic revenge thriller that explores how far a Viking prince will go to seek justice for his murdered father. Okay, well, the synopsis helps us out because we're not spoiling anything when we tell you this movie is about revenge. And so therefore, someone has to be killed essentially in order to provoke said revenge. Well, when Prince Amleth's father is murdered, it really sets into motion what feels like a retelling of Hamlet from a very brutal Viking perspective. What's interesting is the word Amleth in Prince Amleth is actually an anagram for the word Hamlet. So this was a sort of lore and legend that was an inspiration for Shakespeare's masterpiece. And they follow that very, very common storytelling thread of someone whose father was killed or loved one was killed by a relative of some kind. And now they're going to live their life trying to seek revenge and find a way to accept this rage that they've been living with. That's what we see here. And so the movie opens up with about a 20-minute kind of introduction into Viking life where all of this stuff happens and it sets on the course the eventual revenge aspect of the story. I didn't love the opening really much at all. I felt like it was pretty lacking in storytelling. This movie, everything about it is spectacle. It's about showing you this incredible, brutal, and very barren kind of lifestyle that the Vikings lived. So it's not as much about getting connected to them and their individual stories and their individual lives. Because in this case, the life of Prince Amlet, it revolves entirely around his dad saying, listen, I'm not going to be here forever and I want you to be prepared because you're going to need to be king. And this is the way that you are a king. It's all about like battle strength and manliness. There are fart jokes in this movie, which come on, Robert Eggers, like he's obsessed with those. I just don't understand it. I don't like that, but whatever. It just feels so out of place to me. But they're there. And the movie kind of ratchets up in intensity as the murder takes place. And then we get Alexander Skarsgård off. He's been transported away, and we get to see him grown up, now a man who has been driven by this rage for all of these years. He's become a powerful warrior, and ultimately he finds himself putting himself in a position to go back to his country in order to find and kill this uncle and get revenge for his murdered father. So 
for me, the vision of the film's director, Robert Eggers, is one of its biggest strengths. As I mentioned, he's all about taking that lore and the details of Viking legends as we know them and as a Viking life as we know it and really putting that on screen for you in a visual way that will allow you to feel immersed and literally overwhelmed by the kind of darkness of this world, the mysticalness of it, the just complete brutality of the way that these folks lived. So he gets that right. I mean, it is his vision singularly from top to bottom. There are over-the-top performances, tons of characters like with close-ups of their faces, looking at the camera, just screaming or reciting what I felt to be at times just ridiculous dialogue, but it's all in service of this single tone, and he achieves that tone. I personally do not love that tone. The film, for me, is missing an emotional connection that I need. When we're talking about a revenge story, I want to be deeply caring about the people who are either seeking revenge or if there's going to be twists and turns, I need to really care about the people that are having revenge sought upon them because maybe they don't deserve it. The side characters, there's nobody in this movie that I felt like I've ever latched on to just because of how harsh the tone is. And that really prohibited me from, I think, connecting to this on the level that would have allowed me to appreciate it as storytelling about its theme. Instead, I just enjoyed it for what it was. I watched body parts get cut off. I watched blood gush. I watched this combat displayed in a way that I don't know that I've ever quite seen on the big screen before. And I was respectful of that while not fully enjoying it. There is also a magical realism element that comes into play in this quite a bit where we're talking about the mystical nature and the magic and the worship of the Vikings. Things happen that are not quite ordinary where I can't really give exact details away, obviously. I want you to experience it for yourself, but items appear that you question where they came from and how things happen. When that occurs, I thought that the film's scenes were handled kind of, there's moments where it's really great, and there's a lot of moments where I felt like it was just kind of completely a little too far out there. I would compare it to something like David Lowry and The Green Knight, where I thought the magical realism was dialed down and distilled in a way that was completely believable. And it's kind of right there on the surface, but it never left you fully going, well, that couldn't have happened, or that's just a little over the top and ridiculous. And I felt that way about The Northman, unfortunately. It, there was a little bit more of a nonsensicalness to some of the way that the magic stuff was presented to us. Also, there's very much a Hamlet vibe to this overall, as you would expect just from what we've talked about and the story itself. You're going to kind of catch some what feel like Lion King references, also based on Hamlet. And I feel like Robert Eggers probably watched Star Wars Revenge of the Sith at some point as well, because there is a moment in this film that made me definitely think about a very iconic scene in that film. 
So this movie will be available in theaters on April 22nd. And it's not a favorite for me. It's not a movie that I feel like I'm probably going to ever rewatch. But because of its sense of atmosphere and the fact that it is a true sword and sandal-esque spectacle in the way that we just don't get very often. And it's such a completely all-in production from the director and everyone else involved. Even if I didn't love the performances, even if I found myself to not be connecting to it, like I said, it's worth seeing, I think, for you if you can stomach the grotesque nature of the combat and the things that you're going to see on screen. It's funny, though, I will also say that it doesn't quite go as hard as it could go either. In fact, I had friends coming out of it that thought it should have leaned even more into the gore. So it's accessible, but it's also going to be tough for people who don't care for these kind of things. So anyway, I'm very much just kind of stuck in the middle when it comes to the Northmen. Loved the Norse lore stuff that we see and the ways in which it's depicted or loved the the fact that it was being shown to us even though I didn't always enjoy the manner in which things were shown if that makes sense I don't know I'll shut up hopefully you go see it hopefully you get back to me and let me know what you thought definitely see it in the theater if you're going to check it out because it has that big screen quality the photography in the film is gorgeous at times the sweeping landscapes etc Well, that's it for this week on FF Plus. Like I said, if you get a chance to see either one of these movies, please let me know what you thought. Seek me out on social media, at Feel and Film on Twitter. You can find us on Repod, Feel and Film Facebook discussion group. There's links to all the socials in the show notes of each and every episode. Thank you so much for listening. Appreciate you being here. And I hope that I have not wasted your time. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.